pleasure to be here with you all this morning. Uh, as I go through my presentation here, uh, please feel free to take pictures of any of the slides. Um, uh, and if there's something that uh, you missed, you can email me, contact me. All of those things are open and happy to engage with you further beyond this. We can talk afterwards as well. Um, I've tried to clear my schedule just in case there are uh, folks that want to talk uh, afterwards. And um, yeah, uh, we're not talking about anti and counterterrorism today, although that was my PhD dissertation uh, work. Uh, and uh, today we're going to talk about uh, mapping <coughs> and thinking about how we use mapping for student learning and specifically engaging with what we call or what are called story maps. So if you want to get the lights for me, thank you. Uh, so as we go through this, uh, I hope you will keep in the back of your mind, you know, conversations that you've had with your students, uh, your content area, conversations you've had with colleagues, and how maps might inform those conversations in richer and deeper ways. So uh, if you've had me, uh, in class, then uh, you will be familiar uh, with uh, at least some of the early slides here. So what do we have here? Anybody want to tell us what we have here? Roadmap. A roadmap. And when we think about a roadmap or an atlas with roads in it, do, do any of you know what kind of map this is? What, what type of map is this? Does anyone know? Repeater. Not a projection, not what kind of projection it is, but, um, but what kind of map it is. We probably have a pro projection here, but this kind of map is just called a general reference map. A general reference map. And, you know, as I was a young person sitting in the back of my parents' car and we were traversing all across the country, I had an actual physical road atlas. And this is how I began my journey with maps and how I fell in love with maps because I would pour over these maps and look at them and it was a road atlas. It was this road atlas, the Rand McNally road atlas. This one's from 2001, so this was a later one from when I was a kid. And I would fall in love with the ideas of where we were going and how far it was and the different kinds of roads that we might go on in the urban and the rural areas and all of the different things that were around us that I couldn't see but that, that were there. I got very excited about maps. And when I was a seventh grader in our social studies unit, we did a, a mapping project. And I still have my map of Empire Island. And I pulled it out a few years ago and it's... I couldn't believe it, and I remember, oh yeah, I did an occupational report as part of that, that uh, unit, and the job that I inspected when I was a seventh grader was cartographer. <laughs> I found cartographer was a job. It's actually something you can do. And then when I was at Indiana University as an undergraduate, after trying every major you could imagine, right, I was like, what do I pound the table over? What do I want? What am I going to do, God? What am I going to do? Oh yeah, maps. I love geography. Is that here? And sure enough, geography was there. And in the department, there was a track in digital cartography and map making. And I was like, well, that sounds right. And you know, within five minutes, I knew I'd found my people and my place in the, in the first course that I took in that track. So general reference maps really got me excited. But they don't really provide a lot more. 
curiosity, a, a lot for us to be able to investigate deeper and different ideas. And, and it is a communication piece, it is a visual communication piece of general reference. So what do we have here then? What kind of map is this? Is this a general reference map? It is not a general reference map. Here we have a map, and this is percent of children that are underweight in the country of Liberia. And this kind of map is called a thematic map. It's a map with a theme. And here we have the whole new possibility of going deeper with some real penetrating questions that could be profound, controversial, but definitely rich in thinking about the content that we're teaching and engaging with our students and really thinking about what is this communicating in all of its different facets. Okay? So let's try and capture some of the ideas of what is a thematic map by stepping through some maps together. So when we think about the types of maps, uh, my colleague and cartographer, geographer, Borden Dent, put this together. He said there are three kinds of maps. There are mental maps, there are tangible maps, and there are virtual maps. Mental maps are just the ones that are in our heads. They help us figure out how we get from here to there. They never really see the light of day. They're just in our heads. We all think of you know, going to this place or that place, and in our minds we have the ability to do that. And so mental maps are there, and we could ask our students to you know, take the mental map of a neighborhood and put it onto a piece of paper and go through that exercise together. Then it would become a tangible map, right? Something we can feel or touch or, or, or interact with uh, in a physical sense. And then there are virtuals, uh, virtual maps that are sitting right here uh, on our computers and uh, in our, our technology environments, okay? Within the tangible and virtual, we have then reference and thematic maps. And within thematic maps, it gets beyond just the general uh, geographic literacy, but we have quantitative and qualitative possibilities with our maps. Okay. So, what's the theme here? Literature. Literature, Literature right? And where are we in the world? Right. That's right. So we're in the UK area, and these are authors, and where they grew up primarily, and where they're known from, all right? Good. What's the theme here? Church denominations, that's right. We could go to the title and start using map elements in this thematic map, and Leading Church Bodies 2000. What kind of geographic... Uh, area do we have here? What's the enumerated unit here in terms of our geography? What is the, the kind of geography that we have here? With counties. counties, that's right. We have counties. So that's the enumerated unit here in terms of our geography. And so here we have the majority denomination in each county across the United States in 2000. That's right. So uh, another uh, survey was done in 2020 that produced a series of other kinds of maps like this. But what we can see here very quickly is, is you know, using the colors and the counties that we have these different spatial patterns, right? A, a southeast that's very Baptist-oriented, uh, uh, a, a blue Catholic kind of dispersion across the United States. Uh, you can see in the west there in Utah and southern Idaho, uh, we have... Uh, 
uh, Mormon in the upper Midwest. The, the orange is uh, Lutheran. Uh, and you know, we can see these different kinds of more dominant denominations throughout the United States. Right? And that might lead us to ask more questions. Why is it like this? Right? Why is it like this? Uh, okay, what's the theme here? So we went right to the title, Lord of the Rings. Absolutely. But what do we have here? What do we have? What do you see? Travel of different characters? Or? Characters and their trajectory across Middle Earth. Can you see it here? Right here is Tolkien's Middle Earth. Here's the Shire. Right up here. Right Here's uh, the uh, going to Moria. Right over here, you know, the Pelennor Fields. And uh, over here is Mordor. And so, you know, we've got the trajectory of these different characters and, and even line thickness to tell us the, the volume of the, the, the orcs or, uh, or others coming from the south, right? And so here, our theme is, is the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. This is from uh, XKCD. How about this theme? This thematic map. What do we have here? What's the theme? So where are we in the world? We're in Europe. Any ideas? Alphabet. Alphabet. So dealing with language. That's right. This is a linguistic map in 1730 where the words in that particular language, in that geography, are Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So here's a linguistic map produced as one of four maps that looks at the geography of language geography of language at a certain time in our history. How about this map? What's the theme here? So we do depend on our map elements to help us identify some of this, right? Here we have the title, you know, Republic of China, the ROC, Administrative Divisions and Territorial Disputes. There's no real deep explanatory text that we can see except for at the bottom. And if you were to think about this, what is really the Republic of China? What is the Republic of China? Well, we commonly call the Republic of China Taiwan, right? That's that name. And this points back to the time when the Republic of China and the People's Republic of China were formed and the Nationalists and the Communists were in battle and they fled, the, the Nationalists fled to Taiwan and established the ROC which claims all of the People's Republic of China, right? And so this is a political map meant to help us think about position of politics and authority. Right? And so here, Taiwan is claiming the mainland just as much as the People's Republic of China claims Taiwan. Okay? And so here we have a political map that's meant to engage us. It doesn't have to be complicated. Right? It doesn't have to be a full-fledged map. We have this one. What is this? Lights at night where? The Korean Peninsula. Right? And what we have here then is something that just is a remotely sensed image, right? And what we see is, well, there's something very different 
about what's going on in the South and the North, right? And that should prompt us and our students to say, well, why? What is going on there? What is it about that place that it's like this? Are there no people there? What, what is it? What is it? Right? How about this one? I think at least one of you in the audience has seen this one before, so don't shout it out. What is the theme here? I think I showed this in World Regions. So, I took World Regions. Light pollution. Good guess. Light pollution is a good guess. Not light pollution. Others? Roads. Roads is a great guess. It's not transportation. Power consumption. What is it? Power consumption. Power Good guess as well. It's not electrical or uh, power or, or gas or nuclear or anything like that. This is a map of tweets by language. Oh. <laughs> and isn't it incredible that tweets by language help us define nation-state in this part of the world? Can you see it? Can you see Turkey, Greece, Italy, Spain, Portugal, France? Right? You can see that language by tweets actually helps define these boundaries. It's remarkable in this part of the world. It's remarkable. Oh, let's do one more. Um, how about this one? What's the theme here? <laughs> ah, so the cartographer here was trying to communicate a clear message, right? That here's a simplified view of London, and there are two kinds of people. Right? There are two kinds of people. There are the very rich and then everyone else who are losers. Right? And so here is a, another a chance to communicate, right, something uh, using this, this visual uh, medium of a map. Okay? And so here it might provoke our students or even ourselves or colleagues to ask, why? Why was, why was that the choice and why are the very rich right there? Like, why in, what is there in that spatial area within London, right? And so how does the river affect that? All these kinds of questions we might engage with. And so what I've shown you here are primarily situated in the virtual thematic map world, right? Where virtual maps, you know, they're not tangible. We're just here on the screen on the wall three times over. How about that? Um, and they're themed maps. Right, they're themed maps. But really, I want to get to something deeper. And that is, what really are virtual maps? And then, how can we leverage virtual maps for student learning? So what are virtual maps, and how can we leverage these virtual maps for student learning? Because that's what we want to do. We want to help our students grow deeper in the content that you're teaching them and utilize maps to do that. Of course, for me, it's teaching maps and how to use maps for communication, right? how to make thematic maps and be persuasive in the creation of them. So let's go back here, right? You've seen this map here of Liberia. I've shown you this virtual map. Uh, and what we have then on your left is a cube with three different axes, interactivity, 
audience and goals. And there are two primary foci or focus points, and that is the uh, cartography and geovisualization. The idea is I want you to entertain is virtual cartography versus virtual geovisualization okay, in our virtual maps. So what's the difference here? Well, this in a real sense is just a cartographic map. It's just a cartographic product. It's a digital one. And so in this case, the Liberia map would fit right here on this first axis of interactivity in the low category, like low interactivity. We're not really interacting with that map. We're just looking at it, right? I mean, we can't move it around. We can't zoom in, zoom out, change the colors. We can't do any of that stuff. It's just there. There it is. It's virtual. And then the audience, right? Here we have for cartography a public audience. Here it is. Everybody's here. There it is. We can share it around the world. Everybody can look at it, right? It's for the public consumption, it's for the public audience. And what is its goal? Well, cartographic products really have a goal of presentation, right? It's just meant to present something, some geography, and some theme. And that's what it does, right? This cartographic map is low interactivity for public consumption for, for presentation purposes. That's the goal. But we might consider something else. We might consider geovisualization. And geovisualization maps are high in interactivity. They are for private consumption. It's just you or someone else maybe sitting at a computer interacting with a map, right? I mean, people could come along and look at it, but it's just private. And then the goal of geovisualization is discovery. It's exploration. It's discovery, right? And that's very much where we want to be in terms of expanding student learning. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like this, the same map, but in a different environment that allows us to interact privately with our computer for the purpose of discovery. So let's switch over to that environment. And here we are. This is ArcGIS Online. This is made by ESRI. And this is the interactive web map environment, okay? Where we can zoom in, zoom out, we can pan across the map, we can you know, take a look here at the, this world, we can change a base map, let's just get imagery, you know, we can do whatever, let's get uh, maybe National Geographic layer, okay? We can see the legend and, and look at that, we could maybe go here and turn on labels, uh, create labels, there we go, great. Okay. We can interact, we can do all kinds of analyses. Here's a bunch of options for analysis. You know, we can do lots of things. We can add different layers. We can interact with this environment at our computer for the purpose of discovery. We can even change the colors. We can change the classes. We can do all sorts of things. We can look at the data itself. Right? If we go back here to our details and we click on the table, there's our, there's our data, right? We can explore the data, and like there's all kinds of things we can do in terms of geovisualization. And so here, I want to describe geovisualization as GIS, 
geographic information systems. And that's what we're in right here, a geographic information system, a GIS, which is what I teach at Calvin primarily in the department there uh, just down the road. Okay? So here we have an interactive environment. Okay? Interactive environment. Going back then to our slides, great. <clears throat> All right. So what we accessed was ArcGIS Online. This is the ESRI uh, public platform uh, for visual spatial learning and discovery. You can search it and find it at ArcGIS.com. It's free for everyone. You can get an account there. You'll get two gigabytes of space to put spatial layers, and you'll never use it up. Okay. Um, you could add more accounts if you wanted to. Esri said so, you know, if you need to. Uh, and Esri provides in this environment for especially K-12 even more things for free that Calvin pays for, that others pay for, but K-12 get for free. And that is an organizational operational account where you can add premium layers, you can add the Living Atlas, thousands of layers here. You can have member account control, and you can have even more software um, beyond just this environment. Right? And so I'm not just teaching this. I'm teaching the software, ArcGIS and ArcGIS Pro at, at, at the university level, so that I'm growing and developing and fostering professional geographers right? that are doing GIS in every way in every industry across the world. But here, this product is available to everyone, and depending upon whether you want to just kind of have your hand held, if you feel confident in maybe building some of this, right, or you want to take courses with me and go really deep with this, it's possible. Okay, it's possible. Now, within this ArcGIS environment, we have, oh, let's go back to it, we have the possibility of creating wonderful applications. This is what we call a web map right here. How are we doing on time? I just want to keep track of that. Okay. So let me go ahead and save this. All right. Share this thing. All right. So here I can create a web map, a web application from this web uh, map. And there are lots and lots of possibilities of different applications that are kind of like a almost a, a housed structure that the web map would be in that allow you as an educator to create text, multimedia, and other kinds of things where students can access layers and go beyond just the web map environment. And one of the wonderful options is the story map, the story map um, uh, web app. Okay, so that is right here. Okay, so you can see there's the story map basic, there's a cascading story map, there's the journal, there's a series, there's several different kinds of story maps. So what does a story map actually look like? Well, here is a story map that one of my students, uh, David, made. Uh, and David uh, Martinez uh, Vasquez uh, created this in, in advanced GIS last spring. And what you see here is the story map. It's a, an interactive environment that includes text, multimedia, and of course, maps. 
So he's focusing on uh, the giant Sequoia National Monument. Uh, and you can see here on the left, uh, I'm just scrolling down with my mouse. We have nice pictures and text. And then, you know, it shifts to the next panel, and this is the location. Here's a map. We can interact with this map. We can zoom out. You know, we can do different kinds of things, see an overview of this map, and different kinds of layers that are there, boundaries, and so on and so forth. And as we go through this, we see the geology of this area. These are all things David put in here. The hydrology, grabbing different spatial layers that are available through this web map environment. Okay, already there for you, but you can also create these on your own. Uh, habitats, you know, looking at those kinds of things here. Um, low elevation habitats, uh, describing those. Middle elevation, uh, high elevation habitats, so on and so forth. Now endangered species. Now here he's got a very nice cool map uh, here of this whole area. We can click on any one of these. Uh, and let's see here, let's put that up there. And so this is the American Martin Range. Uh, we've got the Wolverine Range. Right, these are places that he has created. You know, he made these layers and brought them right into this map. Uh, this web map that's inserted into the story map itself. Okay, the story map itself. And so here we have geovisualization as GIS, right, where we are encouraging our students to ask questions, to learn something, to go deeper. What about your content area, the thing that you are teaching, the area that you are, 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 are experts in? You know, can you build something like this for your students, or a series of these as a unit? Of course you can. It's not, it's not that hard. But it's so unknown. Right? It's so unknown. So I showed you this, again, a story map is a special map application generated from a web map or a series of web maps that provides you a multimedia environment uh, to really communicate, to communicate. Uh, there are different kinds of uh, story maps as you saw that I showed you. Uh, this is another story map that my students and I have put together. This is Mapping Liberia. Let's continue that theme of Liberia. I've been doing research in Liberia for about five years now. Uh, just wrapping that up, probably going to switch to Guatemala next. We'll see. Um, so here is a story map of mapping Liberia, the Liberia mapping system. Let's look at that. So here is the, the Liberia mapping system. As I scroll down, you know, it's a little different feel, right? It's a cascading style sheet or a cascading sheet um, you know, here where, where basically you have the geography of Liberia, right? Geography of Liberia right here, okay? So just describing all the different things that we've been doing related to clean water and uh, inter interacting with, with those environments. Okay? So again, um, here you can you know, have maybe history section and, and add more, right? Here's the history of Liberia. And so you might step through this and look at the different times and you know, the development of this place, right? the development of, of Liberia. Okay? So different kinds of story maps are available to us. Again, virtual maps, but they're geo-visualization as represented as geographic information systems, or GIS.
All right. Now, thinking about going even deeper, right? My students and I are engaged in this kind of research, and so what we've done is we've put together eight modules around the theme of understanding your place in the world, but focused on the country of Liberia. We put together eight different modules, and these are the eight modules that we built, with a story map, with Adobe Character Creator to create an animation character called Natalie. And Natalie leads us through these modules. And behind the scenes, we've mashed up the powerful survey environment of Qualtrics so that we can allow students to go through our story map and answer questions, get graded on their answers, and have that sent to the teacher. So that is right here. So trying to mash up all of these things together. So here is the first interactive map. Uh, uh, this is the first one. Okay. Uh, here is understanding uh, your place in the world, uh, lesson one. Click OK. So before we get started, are you doing this as part of your own uh, work or part of a class? No, part, part of a class. Then here's the teacher's email. So you know, I'm going to send this to me. And uh, I just also happen to be named Jason. So, so now this, these results are going to be sent to Jay Van Horn, right? Me as a teacher. And now I'll continue. And so here then we're going to start this, this work. And here's Natalie. She's going to introduce this. Hi, my name is Natalie, and welcome to... That is way too loud. <laughs> Thank you. Lesson one. In these lessons, we will explore the world through interactive maps. These maps are a part of what is called GIS, which stands for Geographic Information Systems. But what is GIS? Well, let me show you. So we use Adobe Character Animator to create all of this. Um, for us. GIS is a software that can help you answer all sorts of questions that you might have about the world by using maps. Anytime you see a map, like Google Maps, it is made using GIS. Anytime you use GPS to calculate how long it will take to drive somewhere. Anytime the news shows a radar map of an approaching storm. These all use GIS. But GIS doesn't just help make maps. It also helps analyze geographic data. For example, if you have a favorite video game, you may ask this geographic question. How many other people in the world play my favorite video game? And where are they in the world? If you found data on the other video game players, GIS can help you map that data and help you see where the players are. And then you might ask another question. Why are there so many players in this particular area? GIS can help you analyze the data and find out reasons why there may be so many video game players in a certain region. With GIS, the possibilities for discovering new things are endless. What is one question you have about where things are in the world? Alright, great. So then you've got different kinds of um, you know, parts here. What is GIS? You know, I don't know. Maybe it's this one. I don't know. Uh, but I've answered it, right? And so going through then through this 
uh, environment. And of course, these panels will change uh, depending upon the different kinds of places that we are. We teach them how to learn this system, uh, what is the home button, and all those sorts of things. So as we zoom in, maybe we go back to this environment. Okay. <coughs> So we've created these modules for students to be able to kind of learn and engage in this geo-visualization environment, specifically focused on Liberia. Again, here we're, we're, we're trying to put together a whole bunch of things. This is you know, a, a very sophisticated kind of example of a story map environment. And Esri has made it very easy for you. They've created recently, in the last year, uh, this wonderful site that allows you to not do any of the things that I've shown you thus far, but to just start straight up with the story map itself. And it leads you through the construction of a story map, and you then kind of get to see all of the different components of what goes into a story map or what could go in to a story map. And so let's go here to storymaps.arcgis.com. So here we are. You can see I'm logged in. Here I am. And so, yes, of course, you have to get an account. So get an account. Uh, at arcgis.com and then visit this site or just go right to this site and get yourself an account too. All right, And so here you can start your story, right? And you can step through then the process of creating your first story map or having your students create story maps around a specific kind of theme. If you've enabled them to have access to maybe some text, pictures, you've shown them a place where you can get these kinds of royalty-free imagery or things like that, then they can start to put together their own story maps. In lab three, four, in lab four of advanced GIS, uh, I have my students starting to learn how to build a story map, and they have to build a sophisticated story map dealing with education, higher education in, in Grand Rapids region, and then they have to build a second story map that's just of whatever theme they're interested in. Okay? And then the next lab, they actually do a full kind of Paul's second missionary journey story map. And you know, building that out. And uh, some of these have found attention elsewhere, right? One of my students, Julie, built one, and her story map has been seen by over 12,000 hits. And I was like, some people are linking to these things. And they have almost a life of their own. They can. If they're well done, like David's is so well done at the end. It's got a full extensive research reference section, right? Kind of calling back all of those details, making it much more academic in the orientation. So here, you can do your own and have your students do that as well. Now, perhaps this isn't for you, and that's okay. That's okay. Uh, maybe you want something a little more packaged, right? A little bit more packaged, ready to go for you. And so Esri has produced uh, what are called geo-inquiries. And these are more specific to different disciplines at K-12. through And so here we can see different kinds of web maps and interactive mapping environments. Again, geo-visualization. For American literature, earth science, environmental science, government, human geography, mathematics, 
upper elementary, U.S. Uh, history, world geography, world history. Okay, so GeoInquiries is a site that does many of these things too, and you can see when you when you click on them, let's just choose, I don't know, let's choose government. Uh, you can see there are many options here, right? There's all kinds, so they've built, it looks like, 15 different units, right, for government. Awesome, awesome. Crime punishment, let's click on this one. You get a PDF that launches here, then you can see this is for you, of course. This is for you as the educator. Um, some of the standards, you know, the ask section, acquire section, explore section, analyze section, act section. I, you know, appreciate our Esri educators. I know many of them uh, that work at Esri. Uh, very good friends with many of them. Um, you know, and sometimes you'll find great questions here, but they might not be exactly what you want, and that's okay. You can change these questions. As you go through these geo-inquiries, you'll be prompted to think about these questions. You'll see the data. You'll be able to engage with that. Now here, we'll click on the URL, the, the, the web link, and then it will launch that particular web map dealing with crime and punishment and trying to get to answering those questions, right, uh, that are a part of uh, the, you know, the, the unit. Again, you're in an interactive environment, a web map environment, um, where you can do all of those uh, things that we've talked about. Okay. Oh, we can go right back here. Let's create a new map. Let's create a map. Let's add a layer. Um, let's search for some layers. Alright, let's not do my content. These are maps that I've made, web maps that I've created. Let's instead search for ArcGIS Online. And let's search for um, American Community Survey Population. So every 10 years by law in the United States, we do what? A census. And in between those years, we don't have a census. A census is the whole population, hopefully. But we do sampling in between those census years, and the American Community Survey is that sampling. All right, so then we are trying to statistically sample a group of people that have the ability, statistically speaking, to say something about the population, right? To say something about the population. So here's the American Community Survey. Uh, let's, let's see here, this is updated October 1st uh, of this year, so just recent. Let's go ahead and add that. Okay, so here we are in the United States, uh, and let's pick on, I don't know, Texas. So here, according to the American Community Survey, we have 28 million people living there. Of those, 10 million are under the age of 18 or over the age of 65. That's 38% of the population. Uh, it looks like we have 7.3 million that are under 18 uh, and 3.4 million that are uh, older than 65. Uh, the breakdown of female and male. Of course, this is all interactive, right? So let's zoom in more. Uh, here we are now. We're counties, right? So. I don't know if counties are there, but maybe you do. I know my Texas geography fairly well, but not perfectly well. Uh, let's see here. So uh, let's go to this, and let's turn on our labels. Create the labels there. Okay, yay. All right, let's go to maybe Texas A&M area, Brazos County. All right, so where are we? Boy, I can't read those very well. Let's change those to white. And 
don't see it. Do you guys see it? That's Walker County. We'll just go with Walker County. That's good enough. So here in Walker County, then we have that kind of same detail. But maybe I'm not interested in maybe that detail as much as I am a different variable. So let's look at a different variable. Let's map something else. Uh, instead of that, here's what's in the data. Right? Here it is. Oh my goodness, right? You're overwhelmed. Uh, area, female population by age. Oh my goodness, it's crazy. Male population by age. Yes. So much data here. So much to explore. And this is just one layer, right? This one, one, one map interface, right? Uh, older populations, uh, you know, ratio to male to female. Let's do that. There we go. So here is our ratio of male to female uh, by there. And then we can zoom in even farther. All right, let's go to Houston, to Harris County, and now we've got block groups and census tracts and new enumerated geographies all there, ready for us to explore with our students. You know, if we wanted to, we could do some measurements to say, ah, uh, you know, how, how, how big is this area? Uh, you know, right here, here. Uh, it's 3.73 square miles, right? Um, or if we wanted to say, how far is it from uh, here along this river? It's 13 miles, right? Uh, something like that. Uh, what's the latitude longitude here? That place, whatever. Uh, you can get all these kinds of things. There's lots of possibilities kind of interacting in this environment, right? So again, just a web map, just ArcGIS online. Uh, here. Well, let's pick a different layer. Uh, let's do a new map. Uh, yeah. And let's uh, do something else. How about we search for um, living atlas layers and let's search for urban heat island. That's an interesting one. All right. Uh, great. Let's add that. And let's go check out Grand Rapids. All right. So an urban heat island is just the uh, comparison of the urban area compared to the rural area and how the urban area is warmer than the rural area and then how does that affect things, right? In West Michigan, it affects it dramatically as you get a lot of snow, right? And then snowfall here dropping and then it hits Grand Rapids and it's warmer. And so over here on this east side of Grand Rapids, we don't get nearly as much snow right, from the lake effect as the western side does of Grand Rapids because of the urban heat island that's happening here in the city. And so, let's see, you know, here's Calvin. Oh, boy, we've got a kind of a hot area here. So what's, what's that? What's that? Anybody know? Well, I don't know. Maybe you do or don't. Well, let's turn off the layer and see what's there. Oh, Woodland Mall, Centerpoint Mall. Oh, okay, so, you know, they, oh, 28th Street, there it is, you know, Highway 11. Uh, yep, and so here we are, we're right here, this is, this is us right here. Here we are at the high school, how's it, how's it going here? Oh, some heat generated from the football stadium area. Maybe from the ice rink, you know, right next door. Yeah, so um, here, you know, this is a premium layer available to you if you have an organizational account, your school has to have that to be able to access this for free in K-12. through For my university, it's not free. We pay a site license for dirt cheap, 
because Esri is connected to the discipline of geography, so tightly coupled since 1970, tightly coupled to geography, they provide all of their software for really nothing at the university level, knowing that, of course, everybody beyond that is going to pay the normal rate for the software, and they do. And so Esri is a global leader, and the software industry is about $4.5 billion industry, and the spatial data industry is about a $22, million, $22 billion industry. So the money is in the data, uh, and spatial data. Right? Okay, so, um, yes, geo-inquiries, yes. So if you're thinking about going deep with me, uh, then, you know, that's a possibility. I teach GIS at Calvin. Uh, we have three core courses, Intro GIS, Advanced GIS, and then Remote Sensing, where we have drones. So students will buy their drone, and then they'll fly their drone all semester. 45 minutes of homework doing drones. And then uh, those are the core courses that forms the GIS certificate at Calvin. So if you're interested in a GIS certificate, you can take that with us. Uh, and then we have a master's program in GIS. So all of these courses then together, uh, the intro courses along with spatial demographics, spatial statistics, business location intelligence, and spatial database management and programming are the master's program. And it's online uh, and um, it's intentionally focused in terms of thinking Christianly about what we're doing. So that's the master of science in GIS. So if you're thinking about going deeper, you want to get more, then you will get the knowledge, will earn the knowledge of how to build these layers. How do we actually build these urban heat island layers? How do we connect the data to the geography with all of those attributes that are there? And then how do we conduct spatial analysis so that we're able to produce even more sophisticated connections for our students? Okay. So as a recap then, what, we, what have we done today? Uh, we've looked at the differences between general reference and thematic maps. We've talked about visual cartography compared to visual geovisualization. And then we've used geovisualization as GIS, Geographic Information Systems, and what I like to call G Geographic Information Science. With interactive maps from ESRI, ESRI, I've shown you web maps and how those web maps might be inserted into web apps or map apps. And a specific kind of special map app is a story map from Esri. We took a look at one of the most sophisticated kinds of story maps where we combined the Adobe products with Qualtrics with the Esri product, and that is understanding your place in the world. That's Liberia. I showed you geo-inquiries and how to deal with those story maps Specifically, and last is the going deeper if that's what you would like to do with the master's program or courses at Calvin. So, thanks so much for your time. Um, if you want to open the lights, um, can entertain some questions here. Happy to. I, I don't know, do we go to 11.45 or do we go to now? 11.45. So, we have 10 minutes for questions or comments. Um, again, coming back to where we started, right? What are some of the things that you've talked to or with your students or your colleagues that could be enabled by maps? Right? How can they become richer conversations, deeper conversations, and more meaningful for the student learning process? 
So questions? I just have a question about the copyrights of any multimedia that you use that's sure. not available in the site you I like photos. So it's always, you always need the copyright for everything. So if it's on, if it's published on the web, and then you need to cite it for sure. That's the first step. And if you have a, co a concern about, you know, the use of that particular image, you know, then or uh, icon or, or whatever, then you, you need to seek out permission to do that. So what I do is I actually encourage my students to use royalty-free websites for imagery, like pexels.com or pixabay.com. These are royalty-free images, and there is, it's a creative commons license that comes with each of the images, and then what they do is, you know, as a courtesy, they're not actually required, but as a courtesy, they will include the author's content name and also then a, a link to that content right then and there so that, you know, you're, you're providing that. So I encourage my students to do that. Uh, every once in a while, I have to call my students out on it, you know, as they submit something to me, and they use perhaps um, a, a corporate image from something, and then you can't use that, you know. You should know better than that. So, yeah, my students at the university level will have the challenge of that, too. Um, you know, when you get to historical kinds of maps and things like that, then it's much less uh, problematic, you know, prior to 1925 at this point, you know. But, uh, but, yeah, so that's kind of how, how, how it's handled. Yep. So teaching the responsibility, this is a great opportunity for your students to learn what is citation, what is that, why do you do that, right? why do you give credit, and so, yeah. So my daughter is in fifth grade, and I saw her presentation on endangered species, and it was pretty good, it was okay, but the best part of it, every single slide and every single image was cited. I was like, I didn't tell you to do that, Ella. Your mom didn't tell you to do that. Your teacher taught you that. And we're just like, this is so awesome, right? So awesome. Others? Yeah. So uh, the school needs an organizational account for the, for the individual teacher to get the free K through 12. Uh, how do we, how yeah. do we access that? Everyone can have ArcGIS online free. You can get your own account. You can do many of the things that I showed you today. Yeah. If you want to access the premium layers or the Living Atlas layers, like the Urban Heat Island or yeah. the American Community yeah. Survey data, premium layers would require an organizational account. So yes, then you would need to get an organizational account from Esri, and then within that environment, you could have all teachers get an account. Through, so. I was accessing that. And the organizational that. account is free as well? Yeah, for K-12 through it is. So how, how does the school go about creating that account? Uh, you can contact Esri to get an organizational account. So they make it very easy if you search on their website or you can just do, do a Google search okay. for Esri organizational account. Okay. Uh, you, for K-12, through you will find that okay. and be able to engage in that conversation. Yep. Thanks. Yep, absolutely. Back there? What are some of the maps that you've used that have... Um, either sparked the most um, engaging conversations or maybe challenged students' assumptions about where they live, the place that they maybe thought they knew really well, or the world, or just something that really kind of sparked uh, debate or conversation? Yeah, almost all of the maps that I use that spark debate are embedded in inside journal articles. And so I heavily rely on journal articles and the production of maps inside those where they are accompanied with arguments themselves 
to really engage my students, whether they're dealing with social media maps, like Twitter or something like that, where we can actually see a particular event that just occurred or that recently occurred and the mapping of that. And who's talking about that thing or tweeting about it, right? And so how do we deal with something like that? So I really do have the link to the journal articles, having my students then engage in those richer, deeper questions. Now, I really try hard to think with my students about what does it mean to have a virtue-driven GIS position? What does that look like practically? What does that look like professionally? Well, well, and can, so, you, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Well, when you think about virtues, what are virtues? You know, honesty, humility, patience, kindness. How do we take those virtues and bring them right into the work that we're doing as map makers? What does it mean to lie with the data? And what are the implications for us when we do that? Because we can. We can lie with that data and we can lie with our maps. Right? We can misrepresent all kinds of things and do it easily. Right? And that creates controversy in huge ways. And sometimes it's a mistake. right? Sometimes it's just a mistake. I mean, I went to, I've been to Ethiopia a few times doing research and, and teaching there. Uh, and uh, in one of their 2006 surveys, uh, they did a census around then, an interesting time to do it. And in the far northwest of the country, where there's the Sudanese border, so Sudan and, and Ethiopia, you know, the, the people that were doing the survey for the census were going to all of the different villages. Well, the, the surveyors said, we're going to walk as far as we can until we meet someone from Sudan. And then we're going to say that's Sudan. And that's what they did. And then the census team built maps from that data. Yeah, and they published them. And so the, the 2006 maps have a border that actually extends into Sudan. And those things can start wars, right? I mean, that is not just, you publish that map, and now it's authoritative, right? It's an authority. And that's exactly what happened. Thankfully, you no know, war happens. It's a joke. It's funny. But it wasn't to the 24 geographers that were Ethiopian geographers that I was teaching GIS to. You know, they were embarrassed. They were appalled. They were determined to never have that made again, like never make that mistake again, right? And so, yeah, so, I mean, that's a, that's a, a long answer to, and, and so, but there's no specific map, I can just say, th this is the map that, that, that has done that. It's a series of things, and it's linked to all of those conversations. Others, a question here? Uh, are these public and searchable, so if we wanted to see that Liberia presentation, would you be able to find it on the site? Uh, the Liberia story map? Yeah, the one that oh, you're yeah. your slash LMS. Okay. Yep, it's right there. So you can find that and search for that. And yeah, all, everything here in terms of the David Rodriguez, or D David uh, Martinez Vasquez's uh, presentation of Sequoia's, the Liberia story map. Um, yeah, everything is public. Uh, that, yeah, presented here. Others? Well, I hope that uh, you can find uh, these story maps engaging for your work as educators. I think they're extremely helpful for our students, and they're fun. I mean, they're just fun uh, and engaging. And so 
Uh, if you do have further questions, please let me know. I'm happy to try and answer them and point you in directions where you get your answers. And you can contact me by email. Um, and uh, yeah, happy to chat some more. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. So, thank you.